Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will be looking at Ephesians 3, 8, the last part of the verse, also verse 9 and probably 10, and we'll see how far we get from there. We're continuing this discussion that we started in our previous episode that we, as believers, must count our roles as ministers as a great privilege. We've all been granted the role of minister. Uh, doesn't mean that we are an elder in the church or any of those things, but there is a sense in which every believer is a minister of the gospel, and that is something that we should be counting as a great privilege. And one of the things that we looked at as we began to look at this section from verses 7 to 13, uh, that it is a privilege, is that being made a minister of the gospel is a powerful act of God. That was verse 7. Then as we got into the first half of verse 8, we saw also that being made a minister of the gospel is humbling. Now as we continue our text in the last part of verse 8, we want to pick up with this idea that we must always keep our task at the forefront of our minds. Paul says this in Ephesians 3.8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We must always keep our task at the forefront of our minds. And the first thing that I see in this with regard to the last part of verse 8, and then as we get into verse 9, is that there is the proclamation of the gospel. So he goes through his, his humility that we addressed in the last episode, that he is the very least of all the saints, and we always have to remember uh, from what we have been saved and God's mighty salvation that he gifted to us. But then we always have to re- keep the task at the forefront of our minds. And to him was given this task to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This speaks to purpose. That's what this clause is to preach. And when we see these kind of infinitive verbs here, uh, a lot of times they are pointing to purpose. Why are we made ministers? We are made ministers to preach. Now, this is not the typical verb that is associated with uh, preaching, uh, that idea of declaring and shouting the proclamation of the gospel. Um, that, that word is kerux or keruxo, uh, the verbal form of it. But this is rather uh, to proclaim the divine message of salvation. The, the word sounds an awful lot like our word uh, evangelical. That's actually where the word evangelical comes from. Uh, if you understand how Latin was, that V wasn't really a V, it was actually a U, uh, or in Greek, an upsilon. And so it, we get that euangelion or euangelizo is to proclaim the divine message of salvation. So we're not talking about someone who is holding the office of the pastor. We're not talking about an elder in the church. We're actually talking really (laughs) about the Great Commission and everything that we know about it, right? We know about the Great Commission that it is about disciple making. When you break that down in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 28, sorry, verses 19 and 20, what you find there is that 
you, the, the main verb of action there is disciple making. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. That's what Jesus says in that passage, but all of those other things, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all things that Christ has commanded, those are the ways that we go about in the process of fulfilling this this task that we've been called to, which is disciple-making. Mark says it differently in Mark chapter 16, his version of the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to every creature. So there we have a proclamation of the gospel, and I'm not trying to split hairs here. I hope you understand that that the very first step in that, I am a firm and ardent believer that what's really in view there is disciple-making, and the very first step of disciple-making is to build that redemptive relationship with a person who is not saved, and then to declare to them the gospel. That's the first step. And once God, through the Holy Spirit, convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, because that's the role of the Holy Spirit, that's what his work is, John chapter 16, God brings this glorious salvation into somebody's life, and then from that point of initial salvation, they continue to grow. And so there is definitely a proclaiming aspect. This isn't talking about preaching and teaching, and and that definitely will be a discussion. I won't, I will not rabbit trail on that right now. We'll wait to get to that discussion till we go through First Timothy chapter two and and some other uh, pertinent texts as well. First Timothy two and also First Timothy three, Titus chapter one, uh, those type of things. But every believer is in a sense called to proclaim the gospel because it's not just the role of the pastor, it's not just the role of the elder or even the deacons of the church to do that. It is every believer's role to proclaim the message of salvation. And so I think Paul isn't speaking necessarily to his apostolic office here, or if he is, it is to show that there is also an application to everyone in the church that we also have been called to preach. That is the task that is the forefront in our minds. That's the first aspect of it. And what's the second? Well, the second is the target uh, of the gospel. Who are we preaching to? Well, Paul says here to the Gentiles, to preach to the Gentiles. Okay, so there, the application here is not just or solely to be the Gentiles, but in keeping with chapter 2 and the mystery language of chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, uh, that they are included, right? So we're not solely giving the gospel to the Jews only, it's to everybody. And if you'll, if you'll humor me with a 30-second rabbit trail, I am all about Jewish-focused ministries. There are a lot of them that have propped up in the time of, of modern evangelicalism. That was really an unknown thing prior to the 20th century. But, uh, you know, are those good and right and biblical where their sole focus is on trying to evangelize the Jew? Um, well, God is absolutely pleased with the gospel going into every corner and niche and cranny of the world. So there's nothing wrong with it, and and you're not going to hear me condemn that, but at the expense of not giving the gospel to somebody else. And and I don't think anybody who's a part of of a genuine gospel preaching ministry that is Jewish-focused is going to deny the gospel to somebody else. But the whole thing that he's bringing to light here is that really the gospel is to everybody. 
Okay. So the target of the gospel is everyone. And so when he says that he's taking it to the Gentiles at the end of verse eight, uh, verse eight, what he's saying is I'm taking it to the Jews as well. Cause we know that was Paul's pattern, Romans one, verse 16. And, and then just read the book of acts after he enters into ministry, uh, he's going into the synagogue and there's always that Jew first, uh, and also to the Greeks or the Gentiles. But now when he says this here, when he says Gentiles, what he's doing is he's casting the net wide and he's including everybody in that. So the target of the gospel is really everybody. And we get that from this word Gentiles. And then that brings us to the nature and the content of the gospel. What is it that as ministers, we are to be proclaiming to the whole world? Well, again, as we wrap up verse eight, the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is the nature and content of the gospel. Listen, uh, believer, there is no way that you're ever going to get a lock and, and, and a final, you know, I've done it. I've searched everything there is to know about the gospel. You're never going to get to that point because the longer we meditate on the gospel, the longer we put our eyes on Christ, fix our eyes on, on Christ, the author and finisher of our salvation, uh, which we have been called to do, the more uh, we are stand in awe. Uh, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, the hymn says. Okay, uh, we, we absolutely stand amazed when we look at Christ and when we meditate on him and his work and the implications in our lives and when we sin and we sin horribly and we wander off and we become kind of that prodigal or that lost sheep and Jesus leaves the, the, the 99 to go and find the one, right? I, you know, when he does that and then we recognize ourselves in that, it makes us appreciate and love him any, even more. And so I don't want to get into a technical you know, break down all these words and their etymology and everything like this. But when we talk about the unsearchable riches of Christ, what we're saying here is that you could not possibly, possibly just consolidate it and condense it into something very simplistic and and then just, you know, decide to do something or not do something or I got it. I, I, I don't need to learn anymore. What we are trying to convey to the unsaved and to our neighbor is how beautiful Christ is, how unsearchable are his riches. Uh, that's what we are looking at. And the riches that he offers, that he is God, uh, he created the world, the world is held together by his power. Uh, apart from him, nothing was created that was created. Go back and walk through the first chapter of John. Uh, we're, we're looking at all of that. We're, we're we're looking at the words of the hymn, right? He left his father's throne above <laughs> and we're, we're meditating on the mystery of the incarnation and the humility of Christ. What that theological word there, uh, the theological term for his humility found in, in Philippians chapter one is kenosis, that he was humbled. What, what does it mean that Christ was humbled? Well, once you begin to understand that, the voluntary non-use, I'm very particular in how that statement comes across, but the voluntary non-use of some of his uh, attributes, okay, doesn't mean that he didn't possess them, but it meant that there were points during his earthly ministry where he chose not to exercise some of his attributes as God. And that is unbelievable. Uh, again, and he did it for our benefit 
And that is what it is when we go to begin to talk to people. Listen, that's not all going to come out in the first conversation, but that's what we're trying to convey as we meet with them over and over. We enter into this discipling relationship, this redemptive relationship. We are communicating to them the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then we notice what the gospel does uh, as as we are proclaiming the message, this isn't our doing, it's what God does, and this is verse 9, to bring to light for everyone, the text says, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So the work of the gospel, number one, is to bring to light for everyone, okay? So now he's going to reveal something to bring to light means that it was hidden, okay? And he's actually going to use that language in the very next phrase, the plan of the mystery hidden, okay? So if something is brought to light, that means it was in the darkness. If it's in the darkness, I mean, we don't have to dig deep into this. That means that you can't see it. It means that it's obscure. You don't understand it. Now we're tying this into the preceding section of the mystery, which again, he makes explicit the plan of the mystery. What's the mystery? That salvation would go to everybody. And the way that it does that is through the church. That is his plan and the vehicle for the dissemination of the gospel in this age and in this time now. This is the mystery that was hidden for long ages in the past and has now been revealed. And our job now is to declare it to everyone. That's why we don't have a, a solely Jewish focus to our ministry. The gospel goes to every single person, and we let everyone know. Even if they grew up and they never had been exposed to anything other than a, a total pagan religion, our job is to expose them to Christ and to show them the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen, I, it's worth having a conversation with you, you know your fellow man as you travel, right? Whether you're on an airplane or you find yourself in another city and you go into a coffee shop and sit down, strike up a conversation with somebody. Ask them what they believe. Ask them what they think about eternity. And then get to the heart of the question. I mean, Jesus really paved the way for us in, a, in Matthew chapter 16 and gave us, I think, one of—it's probably the best model— for evangelism. I know there's lots of models out there and there's great books and I could recommend many and, and I've profited from a lot of them. But the simplest question that somebody needs to be confronted with and the best way to get them uh, to really think about these things is to ask Jesus what he asked his disciples. And that is, who do men say that I am? And that is just such a simple question. I mean, God already did it in his word. Right. And so just don't don't feel that you need to add to that or custom tailor it or anything like that. Just say, who is Jesus Christ to you? And I, I can virtually guarantee, even though I have not met you face to face, likely uh, some of you, maybe. But but the point is, is I can guarantee that you're going to over the course of asking that question many times you're going to receive an incredibly uh, variegated, you know, a huge variety of answers to that question. And even if they are of another religious persuasion, they might think that Jesus is a moral man. They might think that he was a prophet of God, but not God himself. And you're going to get a lot of answers that could be actually shoved into some of the categories that who do men say that I am and how that was answered? You are a prophet, you're a teacher, you're you know a good man, right? Those kind of things can be pigeonholed into that conversation. But who do you say that I am? 
And then we discover that the answer that was given by Peter on behalf of the whole group there was not from himself, but God had revealed it to him. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That, that title Christ is a title. Uh, it refers to the sent one of God his messiahship. So it's not just a name. We've kind of reduced the names of Christ and and forgotten that they are offices and titles. Jesus, that's atypical. I mean, his birth was miraculous. The birth, you know, of of a virgin, it's a virgin birth there. There was no human father there, but even so being betrothed to Joseph, there were customs of the day. Jesus normally had not the, the angel come in and directed Mary what to name the child. You know, that first child that was born to her would have been named after the father, which would have been Joseph, even though she was of child, not from an earthly father, but from on high by the Holy Spirit. And, and they said specifically, no, his name will be Jesus. Well, there was no Jesus in the, that family tree. And the reason was given because he would save his people from their sins. Okay. So we need to point people to what Christ is, uh, who he is, what he has done and, and point them to the gospel and bring it to light to everybody. So we don't just target people who are going to a church that doesn't have solid teaching. We definitely want those there, right? We want to reach the unchurched. We want to reach the unsaved. We want to reach those who proclaim to be saved but are not going to a church. Or we want to go and reach those who are unsoundly churched, who are at a bad church. And, And that really encompasses everybody. Okay. And so we don't just leave people alone because they're active in a church. We want to make sure that they are meditating on the unsearchable riches to Christ, because our job as ministers of the gospel is to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. And by the way, God has ordained this because he what? He created all things. And that's exactly what the scripture says there. So the appeal to that and the source of authority of that comes from the fact that God created. And I just want to point out, as we're kind of running long on this, that this is one of those things I would challenge you sometime in one of your Bible readings, you know, through the year, hopefully you're doing that every year, find a way to mark, you know, if you mark in your Bible, use a, uh, a light colored pencil or something like that, set aside a unique color that will stand out to you from the rest of your highlighting and notes and mark every single time old and new Testament that the appeal to God as creator is made. And I think you will be shocked because it happens so often. And we are as believers to remind ourselves that God who made everything from nothing, and we're a part of that, not just the ground we walk on, but us too, we're a part of all of his creation. And as he has authority over his creation, as the potter has the mastery and authority over the clay, right? There's that Romans nine jumping into the conversation again. Then as he has authority over his creation, now he has redeemed us. He's bought us. And now he says, I want you to go into the rest of my creation and do this. And how do I have authority? Because I made you right. So we have to remind ourselves and affirm daily that Jesus Christ is God, uh, that he is the son of God, that he was born of virgin. We have to affirm the gospel on a regular basis. I would say on a daily basis, we have to wake up and make a conscious decision to affirm the gospel. And along with that, we must also affirm that God is the creator of heaven and earth on a daily basis. 
And, and that's where this authority comes from. Well, I've gone long again. We made it through one more point as we looked at verses uh, 8b through 9. But it's a great reminder that we always must keep our task of being ministers of the gospel at the forefront of our minds. And so my challenge to you, whenever it is that you find yourself listening to this episode, the next time you have an opportunity, if you're listening in the morning and you're going to go out later in the day, see if you can find somebody and engage them in, in, in not a, in an offensive way or anything like that, but engage them in a conversation, show them and demonstrate that you care and ask them the, the crucial question, who is Jesus Christ? How do you define him in history? Who is he to you? What does it mean? Do you know what he did? Do you know what his message is? Do you know why he died? Do you know how he died? And and all of those things, ask them that question. And if you listen to this at night, well, purpose in your heart, pray to the Lord before you go to bed. Lord, give me an opportunity as I wake up in the morning and and go about my day that you would bring somebody across my path that I would be able to talk to them about Christ so that I can be faithful and obedient in the task that you've given to me as a minister of the gospel. Well, that's where we'll leave our episode today and we'll pick it up next time in verse 10. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.